Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila, and I have with me Mr. Actually, you're a doctor, aren't you? Dr. Michael Pratz and Dr. Cray Bolger. All right, so the article that we're reviewing today is called is entitled The Focus Abdominal Sonography for Trauma Examination Can Reliably Identify Patients with Significant Intra-Abdominal Hemorrhage in Life-Threatening Pelvic Fractures. And this study is in the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery this year, 2018. So a little bit about background about this. The FAST exam was invented, I don't know, the 70s or something like that. It was, it's been around for like a long time. And one of the things that we are very interested in right now is what is the benefit overall, like mortality, morbidity? What is the benefit when we do this examination, specifically this FAST exam? So the FAST exam is something that unfortunately in a couple of studies that have come out in the past few years has not shown super promising results when you look at all comers, right? So you have patients that are trauma patients, you do a FAST exam, they look and see what are the outcomes and the outcomes um, aren't as robust as we may want. This study looked at a specific subset of patients, which are patients that I think would most benefit from that FAST exam. Additionally, when they talked about this study, they also mentioned some implications for like pre-pelvic packing and Reboa. Mike, can you fill us in on those? Yeah, so all of us suspect that they probably just threw in Reboa to make this article a little more sexy since they don't actually utilize Reboa at all in this study. But from what I could understand of the author's reasoning, it goes something like this. We're using Reboa, which stands for Resuscitative Endovascular Balloon Occlusion of the Aorta, more and more in some of these sick patients that we think may benefit from just blocking off the blood to stop life-threatening hemorrhage. So what they're saying, or what they're trying to posit in their, in the way that they're tilting this article, is that if you have a negative FAST exam, meaning there's no intra-abdominal hemorrhage. In a, in a hemodynamically unstable patient. In a hemodynamically unstable patient, then maybe that patient shouldn't go get a laparotomy because that's going to be low yield. Instead, they posit maybe this population would benefit from getting either a lower Reboa or going to interventional radiology to get some embolization procedure. Because they're assuming that in that case, maybe the hemorrhage is due to the pelvic vessels from this pelvic fracture. So I think that's what they're trying to say in incorporating Reboa into it. But like we said, the results really have not much directly to do with Reboa. They're just trying to use it thinking of that forward. All right, so let's go into how they actually performed the study. They wanted to see, can the FAST exam detect clinically significant intra-abdominal hemorrhage in complex pelvic fractures? So what they did was retrospectively looked through 10 and a half years of patients that presented Whoa. to their hospital. So it was a single center, and they actually had a very particular protocol with these unstable patients in whom they suspected a pelvic fracture. All of these patients had a systolic blood pressure of less than 90 after getting two units of packed red blood cells. So everyone that qualified for this had external fixation, probably a pelvic binder of some sort, and then they also got preperitoneal pelvic packing, which from henceforth we'll refer to as PPP. Also as part of their protocol, 
they state that they routinely repeated the fast exam. It's not clear how often this actually occurred, but a lot of the times it seems that they may have repeated the fast exam more than once. So they excluded patients mainly that just had the diagnosis already or had CTs done at other hospitals before they got to them. So when they're looking through all these patients, they, like I said, they had to be unstable with a suspected pelvic fracture and have received preperitoneal pelvic packing. So they considered a fast positive if they saw any intra-abdominal free fluid or if any view was indeterminate. So that's also key. And then they confirmed these findings either based on laparotomy or CT findings that showed intraperitoneal hemorrhage. All right, and these ultrasounds were done by trauma surgeons or ultrasound fellowship trained ED faculty, and they were performing the FAST, or as I like to refer to it as the E-FAST minus, because I think the baseline should be the E-FAST, and so instead of adding something to the, the FAST. The E-FAST minus. E-FAST minus, meaning that you failed to do a part of the FAST that's important. It really rolls off the tongue. E-FAST minus. I'm starting it now. Also, they, uh, they uh, wasn't necessarily all done by trauma surgeons or the EM attendings, but it was always supervised by them. So they were always like there watching it, but it could have... Good point. But I mean, theoretically, it could have been like an intern doing the actual scan. So they were present for all the key or critical portions of the exam. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Craig, walk us through what they found. All right. So they kind of looked at this a little bit backwards from a lot of studies. So they started with the pathology and worked their way back to the FAST. Um, which I think is a lot different than what we typically see with ultrasound studies. We look forward from the ultrasound study. So um, they, in 10 and a half years, had 2,246 patients with pelvic fractures. They then looked and saw which how many of these had refractory shock. So 132 of these had refractory shock and got the PPP. Then they said 51 of these don't count. Um, usually because they had outside hospital imaging, which they would assume then they subsequently didn't get a FAST, which may or may not be true. So that gave them 81 patients. Um, Shockingly, they were mostly middle-aged men. Um, They had an ISS score of 50, which for anybody not familiar with trauma literature, anything over 15 is considered a pretty significant trauma. So these were sick trauma patients. Um, Primarily... MBC, but all were blunt trauma, so any penetrating trauma was out of the mix, which kind of makes sense because that doesn't really give you a pelvic fracture frequently. Unless you wedge the knife in and kind of like wrench it around till you break their pelvis, yeah. Or you like fall on a pogo stick or something. (laughs) Pogo stick. (laughs) So again, kind of restating the fact that these were sick patients. Most of them got at least three units of PRBCs in the ED. Keep in mind that a lot of the time course that this spans was before the time of massive transfusion protocol. So in that kind of era, two units of PRBC was considered a sick trauma patient. Um, So for a lot of us, three might not seem like much in the era of massive transfusion protocol, but in the 10 years that this data was collected, that wasn't a thing. SVP on the lowest average SVP was 72, and the highest heart rate was 116. So fairly compensated shock. They had 28 positive FAST exams. And keep in mind that their definition of a positive FAST is a little bit different than most of ours. If it was indeterminate, it was put into the positive category. So I think that's important to keep in mind because not all of us 
call indeterminate positive. We call indeterminate indeterminate. So once they whittled down the FAST to this kind of limited patient population of unstable, high ISS score, positive FAST exam, pelvic fractures, they had a 96% sensitivity and a 96% specificity. That's awesome. That's my mind being blown. But we have to keep in mind that, again, this was a very specific patient population where the FAST has kind of been previously proven to be good, the unstable blunt trauma patient. And not only are they taking the true positives, but they're taking those kind of wishy-washy indeterminates and putting those into their positive pool. So keep that in mind when having your mind blown by these numbers. In these studies of accuracy, it's always really interesting to look at the false positives and the false negatives. So false positives in this case, people that had a positive FAST but ended up not having any injury found. One of them had a positive view, pelvic view, on the FAST, and the CT showed a pelvic space hematoma, and the second one had a positive right upper quadrant and just ended up having mesenteric hematoma, so not really clear how that could have happened. False negative, though, I think is pretty fascinating, too. So this is a guy who had a negative FAST, but he sounded like he wasn't doing so hot. He came in, they couldn't get a blood pressure, only had a palpable carotid pulse, and he had a negative FAST, which I'm sure was done really thoroughly, and then went straight to the OR where he had not only the PPP, but laparotomy, splenectomy, and liver packing. So that one, I kind of, you know, he was going to the OR no matter what. I don't know why they really bothered doing the fast, frankly, but let's talk, let's touch on some of the limitations of this study. So I think, you know, the way they came up with their population it almost lends itself to really good sensitivity and specificity. I think their definitions of a positive FAST being a little more inclusive. Um, if I can call it indeterminate and I'm not committing to the positive, but I don't think it's negative, your sensitivity and specificity are going to go up with that um, as well. You know, I, I think each place has their own practice patterns, but indeterminates are often treated as negative in a lot of cases as far as like we're going to get more imaging not we're going to rush to the operating room in this case it was the opposite they're treated as positives where it's let's go to the operating room um i think their practice of repeat fast exams and using that interpretation in the data um is a little bit different than the standard practice of care you know most you're going to increase your sensitivity and specificity if you wait for more blood to collect so um using either the first or second as a positive, I think also is going to enhance your numbers, um, which may not always be feasible in a single coverage ED where you're the only doctor, you might not have time to run back frequently. I think the the pink elephant in the room is how this all relates to rubella, um, as again, it wasn't applied in the situation. If you have a sick patient with a pelvic fracture and you have a positive fast, this confirms that you should go to the OR, which, Pelvic fractures aside is something that we already knew. But this is just saying previously they thought maybe it wasn't that accurate in pelvic fractures. Now this paper says it looks like it's pretty specific. Because a pelvic fracture, like if it's like a simple isolated pelvic fracture, shouldn't really cause that much of a positive fast. But this is saying that if if you have a suspected a pelvic fracture with a positive fast, that patient's like sick, basically. Um, so I, I would almost say that like, 
and it, it's just a specific patient population. It's a sick patient with a pelvic fracture. The ultrasound is very helpful in that specific population, which is I think what we talk about a lot is that ultrasound is is really good when in specific patient populations, i.e. like sickest patients. Um, and it's really good when you're asking a question, does this patient have fluid in their belly in the setting of a pelvic fracture, which this study shows, um, at least in this population, that it does. Yeah. Now, one of the main problems I had was the retrospective nature and the fact that it occurred over 10 years. Because when we talk about retrospective, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we could miss. They didn't even have the ultrasound images available to review. They were just based on the documentation of whether or not it was positive or negative or indeterminate. And same with the operative and CT findings. They didn't have a lot of the imaging. So over the 10 years, there's been changes in technology of ultrasound, of CT. Maybe there's even changes in how they manage these cases. If you look and see how many various editions of ATLS have came out since 2004, we're on my the third in the last five years. So I think that's really important, like the way we manage these patients. Three units of PRBCs, all of us laugh at. That's not a sick patient. So if you're telling me you have a sick patient and that's all you're giving them, that doesn't correlate, especially with ISS scores as high as 50. Uh, that just doesn't fit. I think, you know, I think there's a great question brought up by this is what's the role of ultrasound? Is there a role of ultrasound in choosing when to do Reboa? Um, and what patient populations could potentially benefit from Reboa over OR and can ultrasound help guide that decision? Great question. Don't think this paper answered it. Another question that this paper didn't answer was, where were these FAST scans positive? It would have been really interesting to see, do pelvic fractures mainly present with a positive pelvic view, or is it right upper quadrant view? Where are we going to see that fluid accumulate in these sick patients? They didn't comment on that. All right, so let me summarize this study. This was a retrospective study looking at unstable patients with pelvic fractures, comparing the FAST exam to CT or laparotomy. They ended up having 81 patients. They found that the FAST exam has a 96% sensitivity, 96% specificity for intraperitoneal fluid. So our take-home points from this article are that the FAST is sensitive and specific for intraperitoneal blood in this very small population of unstable pelvic fracture patients. Maybe the FAST can help inform your decision-making about how you're going to manage this patient, whether it be going straight to the OR, going to IR, or placing a Reboa. Maybe. In any case, we thank the authors for performing this interesting study, and we thank you for listening to our podcast. You can always find out more about our podcast from our website, ultrasoundgel.org. You can also contact us on Twitter, check out Google+, or Facebook, and hopefully we will talk to you later. This is like, what is that coyote ugly when you wake up the next morning and you're like, what the heck, and you went to your arm off? That's what this is. It's a bait and switch. <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do how to use a linear probe for transrectal ultrasound. Yeah, Not much yeah. evidence on that, as far as I know. But that, that's why we got to talk about it. Yeah.